Good afternoon. We are gathered today to remember the life of Stephen James Ramsey. We will remember that life not only today, but for years to come with great fondness and genuine appreciation. For Steve was a good man, a loyal and loving husband, a committed and self-sacrificing father and grandfather, a friend in need, and a true and faithful servant of Jesus Christ and of his church. A man who registered large in the lives of all who knew him. We are grateful that you have come to acknowledge and reflect on the life of this remarkable and beloved Christian man and to bring comfort to his family. This will be one of the few events held in this church over the past seven years that was not planned with the help of our brother Steve. And yet, it is the singular event held here on which his fingerprints are most indelibly etched. And yet, as true as that is, there is one whose fingerprints are even more pronounced. And thus, we gather not only to remember Steve and remark upon this life well-lived, but also to praise and honor the God who authored this life and faith and who graciously made each of us partakers in that life. Steve Ramsey had a great deal to give, but more than that, he had a great willingness to give, much more than most of us have. And because of that, he will be missed far more than most of us will ever be missed. In Shreveport, Louisiana, on the eve of Christmas Eve, 1956, a baby boy was born to parents Guy and Patience Ramsey. He was as close as that boy would ever come to being a patient guy. <laughs> His parents named him, perhaps unintentionally, but according to God's kind and wise providence, Stephen James. Names that would come to suit him perfectly. And I'll note on that in a moment. He grew up in the little town of Keithville in the countryside just outside Shreveport and spent the vast majority of his almost 64 years in northwest Louisiana, northeast Texas, and southwest Arkansas. Guy and Patience were faithful Christian parents, and Steve did not recall a time when he did not believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. After graduating high school, Steve worked for a year moving houses with his older brother, Chuck. And in 1975, Steve moved eastward down Interstate 20 to Ruston to major in horticulture and landscape design at Louisiana Tech, a five-year degree program that he completed in 1980. But during the summer of 1979, the summer before beginning his final year of college, Steve took off for Wyoming, the state that would become his favorite vacation destination, to work for the summer season at Yellowstone National Park as part of a Christian ministry in the national parks. He arrived with the early group and was among the last to leave, a schedule and manner which fit Steve throughout his life. Every day for four months, this punctilious, careful, meticulous, and scrupulous young Louisianan worked at Old Faithful. What a metaphor! For the life of Steve Ramsey. I know which one was older, but I'm not sure which was more faithful. In that category, the geyser had some tough competition from the geezer. <laughs> Early on in Steve's experience at Yellowstone, he developed a deep and abiding interest in a certain young lady from Hawaii who also was there with the same ministry program. But there was only one problem. She was having none of it. Steve had read a book published three years before in 1976 by Gene Getz titled Building Up One Another. And he had determined that Rebecca Bubenick was the one other that he had been foreordained to build up. Even then, when Steve Ramsey set his mind, it was set like flint. We'll add persistence to the adjectives already employed here for this unique man. And by the end of the summer, Becky tells me her relationship with Steve had warmed all the way to the level of mutual friendship. <laughs> Romance with this young man had not entered her mind, even on the most glorious of moonlit 
summer nights in that beautiful hydrothermal wonderland. The Yellowstone website reveals that, and I quote, the park contains more than 10,000 thermal features, including the world's greatest concentration of geysers, as well as hot springs, mud pots, and steam vents. Well, in the summer of 1979, there were at least 10,001. But Becky was not yet so classified. When September came, both Steve and Miss Bubenick, Bubenick went opposite directions, Steve to Louisiana and Rebecca to Hawaii. But Steve would not forget that Hawaiian beauty, writing her letters regularly, persistently, and even flying over to visit her family during November 1979. He would have canoed over if necessary. <laughs> and finally, he wore down Becky's defenses. He, uh, she arrived in Louisiana in the summer of 1980, and they were married that September they lived in Ruston that first year of marriage, and then they, or at least Steve, got a hankering to move to Wyoming, where Steve managed a motel during the first tourist season they were there, and later worked as a carpenter. During their time in Wyoming, Becky gave birth to a son, Zachary, in a hospital in Jackson. But after two years, their difficulty in finding a Christian community to be part of became impossible to overlook. They moved back to Louisiana in 1983, where a second son, Caleb, was born. But a friend asked Steve to move to Avery, Texas, about 50 miles west of Texarkana, to help him put in a commercial peach orchard. Steve enjoyed horticulture, having gotten his degree in that field, and so the Ramses became Texans, at least temporarily. After about six years, Steve joined the Texarkana Fire Department, serving as a fireman and later as a paramedic. And so they moved closer to that city, settling in Rocky Mound, Arkansas, where they bought a peach orchard and blueberry and Christmas tree farm for Steve to improve and manage during his time off from the fire department. They sank most of their savings in that farm, but frequent freeze-outs made peach production a tough slog. Becky had married a man with a tremendous work ethic, though, and he would always provide for his growing family that included now three new arrivals, all born at home with a paramedic on standby, Jessica, Asher, and Eli. Steve spent almost 30 years as a fireman in Texarkana, eventually becoming a battalion chief before he retired. He also taught aspiring EMTs and paramedics at Texarkana College. Being a faithful and respected churchman, Steve served Grace Covenant Church of Texarkana for many years as a deacon and later as an elder. For about 15 years, Steve also served as a founding board member of Veritas Academy, a classical and Christian school in Texarkana that was started by the church and attended by his children. Not surprisingly, for a guy who wanted to work at Yellowstone, Steve always loved the outdoors, especially the Wind River Mountains of Wyoming, where he occasionally took his boys to teach them to be outdoorsmen. He and Becky were planning to take the whole family there in the summer of 2021. He loved camping and hiking, canoeing and kayaking, and he and Becky celebrated their 40th anniversary back in September with a kayaking excursion to the Washita River in Arkansas. Since moving to Nacogdoches, he took multiple canoe trips over the past few years uh, to the Rio Grande River with his uh, River running rowdies, Gary St. John and Stacy Little. I noticed on Facebook last week that Steve served as a surrogate grandfather just a couple of weeks ago during the Thanksgiving break, teaching Natalie Ketchin to shoot a rifle in his backyard. Steve was always up to something constructive and instructive. Steve and Becky were devastated in 2004 to learn their firstborn, Zach, was diagnosed with a rare and fatal form of cancer. After a courageous battle and very difficult path that Steve and Becky journeyed along with Zach and his wife, Dory, Zach passed away in 2011, becoming at the time the oldest surviving patient of that particular cancer. Steve never questioned God at any time, but understood that God's wisdom exceeds that of man. Yesterday, before worship, we repeated the answer to question seven of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What are the decrees of God? The answer read, The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory 
He hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Steve's faith, founded in God's eternal decree, was unshakable. He would acknowledge today, as Christ himself said in John 17, that he had finished the work his father had given him to do. Having raised their family and having achieved empty nest status, Steve and Becky moved to Nacogdoches in 2013. His gifts, skills, and calling were immediately recognized, and his course to the diaconate was short and swift. Steve cannot help but be a servant of the church. That's how God made him, and Steve embraced the work. One of the many ways Steve demonstrated his dedication to the families of Grace Covenant Presbyterian was in hiring uh, the young men of the church, very young men of the church, to help out either in the business he had started in building and maintaining rock-topped driveways or managing a second rural homestead for Barney and Sam Gershon near Central Heights. He would teach the boys how to perform manual labor, the very best kind for boys, and he would compensate them according to their productivity, which sometimes meant that the younger boys would, learn, would earn more than their superiors in age. Steve was the best kind of teacher, one that demanded accountability and inculcated responsibility. Of his work at the Gershon's estate, Barney told Pastor Booth last week that before Steve came along, and I quote, the place was going to pot, but in two years, Steve turned the place into a paradise. Steve was a trustworthy man whose personal standard was the very best he had to give. About eight years ago, shortly before Steve and Becky moved to Nacogdoches, my daughter Emily and her friend and roommate at the time, Emily Lawlace, now Hoyt, began volunteering at Glory Gang, a local ministry to children from low-income families who didn't belong to a Christian church. The ministry has a worship service for kids on Sunday evenings, but the key to the ministry's success is a midweek visit on Thursday nights from the Glory Gang volunteers to the homes and families of the kids. Soon after the Ramseys moved to Nacogdoches, probably in the fall of 2014, Emily and Emily asked Steve and Becky to accompany them on their midweek visits to these families, many of whom, as you can imagine, live in areas that are known for substantial criminal activity. Steve saw that he could be of service to these girls, who at the time were both single. And for five of the past six years, Steve and Becky spent two hours, most Thursday evenings, making sure the girls from this congregation, including Michaela Hill, starting in 2015, made their appointed rounds under the watchful eyes and genial bonhomie of Steve and Becky. As was his wont, Steve perceived areas of potential danger, even worrying about how the girls might be dressed. And he made it his responsibility to teach them how to watch their surroundings and take extra care where caution was warranted. I don't think Steve ever asked Emily, where's your dad? Shouldn't he be here doing this for you? Steve and Emily enjoyed that special sort of relationship that Steve had with so many of you, a bond that transcended that typically found among members of the same congregation or even between members and a beloved deacon. In a sermon several years ago, Pastor Booth encouraged his congregants to pick a couple in the church whom they respected, who would mentor them and teach them how to live a faithful Christian life. Both of these Emilys chose Steve and Becky as the couple they wanted to get closer to and learn from, and they enjoyed a number of meals in the process of that education. Steve really cared for people, and Steve always was there when you needed him. Occasionally when you didn't, but always there when you needed him. As Jennifer DeCurligan noted, Steve's beard was big, but so was his personality. Steve was a planner and organizer. He thought through processes and procedures thoroughly. Some time ago, he noticed that the four men who distributed the bread and the wine on Sundays for the Lord's Supper were not consistent and efficient in that service. Like a good coach, he drew up a game plan on a sheet of paper for a proper procedure, complete with actual X's and O's, so that the men would know, according to the numbered spot they occupied each week, exactly where they were to walk and where they were to stand in the service of the supper. If any deacon has that original plan, 
I hope you will supply it so that it can be framed and memorialized. Steve was exacting. And all he wanted was for everything to be done right and proper. Some of his close friends, including one named after the writer of the fourth gospel of the New Testament, would frustrate Steve mightily because he just couldn't produce the degree of care for rightness that was innate to Steve. Undoubtedly, Steve has now found a place where he can't find any room for process improvement. No spot where a glorified dually needs to be parked to protect those under his watch. I mentioned earlier that his parents named him Stephen James. The writer of Acts says of Stephen that he was a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, one of seven whom the apostles appointed to oversee and carry out the business of the church, including making sure the widows were fed. In his epistle, James exhorted the church to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He defined pure and undefiled religion as visiting orphans and widows in their trouble. And he wrote in James 2, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? He continued in his epistle, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Steve demonstrated, Stephen James demonstrated every day his faith by his works. Virtually everyone here today could stand and share a story that illustrates Steve's generosity, kindness, and commitment to our Lord and to his church. As we remember all these stories and experiences with our brother, what we remember is a life of faithfulness. The sort of life that can happen in this fallen world only because Jesus Christ redeems sinners. Steve would be the first to say that if the gospel were not the absolute truth, then his life and ministry really wouldn't mean anything. But if Christ came to earth and lived a spotless life and was raised from the dead, as he in fact was, then the best news about Steve's life is that last Wednesday, December 9, was the best day of his life. The day he, according to God's foreordained plan and predestinating power, was received into glory. To paraphrase Pastor Doug Wilson, Steve has already received his well done. And he has turned around just inside the door to wait for the rest of us to catch up with him. He won't have long to wait. Will you join me now in prayer? Oh, Lord, our Father, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You have written our stories in every detail and appointed exactly the days that were fashioned for us when as yet there was none of them. You are the one who made us eternal beings and who promised to prepare a place for us and to receive us to yourself that where you are, we may be also. We rest and even rejoice today in your infinite goodness and wisdom. We rejoice in the redemption you have provided us in the blood of Jesus Christ that you poured out on the cross of Calvary. You've given us faith to believe this good news and have not left us ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. And thus we do not sorrow as those, as those who have no hope. You have given us hope that just as Jesus died and rose again, even so, you will bring with him those who, like our brother Steve, sleep in Jesus. We thank you particularly today for Steve Ramsey, whom you made to be variously our brother in Christ, our deacon and friend, teacher and counselor and mentor, repairman and troubleshooter, grandfather and father, provider and husband. We thank you for his life and ministry among us for the gifts that you gave us through the gifts you gave him, for his open and warm and generous heart. We pray that you would raise up in this congregation and in your church throughout the world 
leaders who will follow in Steve's footsteps. Christ-loving, self-denying, stalwart, humble, masculine, and mature men who are secure in their identity in their Savior. We ask that you would supply us all with what you know we need today through your abundant riches and glory. We pray that you would grant your comforting presence and surpassing peace and grateful spirit to Becky and to Caleb and Holly, to Jessica and Douglas, to Asher and John, to Eli and Krista, and to Dory and Rob and their families, even now, in this hour. Teach us all to number our fleeting days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. We pray with confidence that you will accomplish all this, for we come in Jesus, our Savior. And amen. I was pondering leaving this mask on because I thought you couldn't see me cry. But let me tell you, the shortest verse in the Bible says Jesus wept. And I know why it's the shortest. Because they couldn't write, they couldn't talk, they couldn't do anything else while they were crying. And I tell you that I won't get through this without crying. You might ask why I'm here. Well, the reason why I'm here is because of Proverbs 18.24. A man with many companions may come to ruin. But there's a friend. This sticks closer. Than a brother. I must give you disclaimers to begin with. Steve would be really pissed off. If I make him sound too sweet and too glorious. <laughs> and based on what we know from the Bible... We have an idea that those in heaven can see beyond heaven. And so if he's watching, i got to watch out. You see, I don't know a day that I did not know my best friend. I could ask all of you to stand up and say, if you've known Steve for ten years or less, sit down. Some of you would sit down. And then I could say twenty years. And I could say 30 years, and I could say 40 years, or 50, or 60. There's only a couple here that would still be standing with me. Steve and I, Steve was born on December 23rd, 1956. I didn't know him at the time. I was not born until eight months later. But from that point on, Steve and I went to kindergarten together. We had the same teacher. We had a hankering for the same girl in kindergarten. (laughs) I want you to know a few things about Steve before he, he truly dedicated his whole life to Christ, just so that you can see some of the things about him. Um, He was the Jeremiah Johnson without a beard. At the time, at seven or eight, he would the leader of the men on Harper Road. There were about nine guys about the same age within a year or two, and he was the leader. He knew things. We don't know how he knew things. <laughs> we didn't have the Internet back then, and yet he would come to us and say, we should do it like they did in the olden days. You are laughing because y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And I followed him in places that I should have never followed. (laughs) He, He and I have been in 11 states together. We have five different W-2s that we both got from the same companies. We worked together. We did everything together. Um, (laughs) I have so many stories about my dear brother Steve. 
He drug me into places that I wish I had never been. I can remember on the side of a cliff where I was so scared I didn't think I could go up or I could go down. And I said, why am I here? How did this happen? I can remember my parents sitting in the bleachers and hear over the announcement, Jeff Harper coming out of shoot number four on Buddy the Bull. My parents didn't even know it. I can remember my dad telling me, Son, you did come out of shoot number four. I'm not sure the bull did, but you really came out of shoot number four. And I asked myself, how did I get there? Y'all can look at me. I don't look like a bull riser or rider or a mountain climber, but Steve was a man that was a leader of men. And before God took a real full grip of him, he led us into some things that we should have never gotten into. I have the pleasure of knowing that I have slept out under the stars for more than 200 nights with my dear brother Steve. Um, I used to introduce him to people. I would say, hey, John, I'd like you to meet my good friend, Steve Ramsey. We grew up together. You know what he'd say immediately. We didn't grow up together. We just got older. We never grew up. We were so close that in the fifth grade, we started pad football, organized football. And he convinced me to go out for football. We were so close that before the first game, we were in practice. We shouldn't have been practicing the day before the game, but our coach really wanted to win. And um, as we were practicing, Steve fell and broke his leg. Coach looked right over at this guy that was not but 45 pounds at best. Looked over and says, I bet you know his plays. I said, yeah, I do know his plays. So I was a starting fullback the next morning. I can remember getting up off the field, looking through the ear hole, wondering which side is my side to go to. <laughs> and when Steve and I were in teenagers in um, high school, um, he was something else. He was still the Jeremiah Johnson without the beard. He killed his first eight-point buck. And I asked him, I said, Steve, how did it happen? He goes, I was tracking him. I said, you were tracking a deer? He said, yeah, I could smell him. (laughs) That's what he told me. We couldn't deny it. He had a dead deer. We couldn't deny it. Back in um, our first W-2 jobs, I was given the opportunity to play Mickey Mouse at a department store. They had a real Disney costume. And at 14, I was Mickey Mouse. And they said, but we also have a Pluto costume. You know who was Pluto. (laughs) Steve and I were very close. In fact, we went to Jackson, Mississippi one time on a key club convention, and we went down the wrong um, road. Steve at that time had another broken ankle, and he was in a walking cast, and there were four of us, and we were walking down the wrong road. Before you know it, we're on Mill Street in Jackson, Mississippi. It ain't a good place to be. Out of a bar in front of us comes about... 15 to 16 guys. Immediately, I was scared. Steve says, as long as they're in front of us, we're okay. (laughs) I was still alive by that time, so I trusted him. I went, well, before we knew it, they were gone. And then I looked, I said, Steve, they're behind us. I was waiting to hear what his answer was. Well, he had no answer at that point. 
And so we were into an all-out war. And we got mugged and robbed and beaten. Steve took his cast and swung it. He was the safest one of the bunch because he used his cast on his foot to keep a lot of them away. He whistled real loud, and he stopped another gang that had shotguns, and they fired shotguns, and everybody dispersed. We didn't disperse. And so we rode back into a safe part of town in a 64 Falcon with five black guys with shotguns and four little white boys that were scared to death. <laughs> but I would like to, I would like now to turn from what happened next. As I told you, Steve and I liked the same girl in kindergarten. Well, Steve and I had a propensity to like the same girls. In fact, the first, he came to me and in 1974, and said, Jeff, you want a double date tomorrow night? I said, yeah. Well, I had found this really pretty girl that I liked. Her name was Patty. And I went and asked her out, and she said yes. An hour later, Steve asked her out. For a couple years after that, Steve and I were not on the best of terms. (laughs) I was very fortunate. I ended up getting to marry that girl named Patty. But before that time, Steve and I were distant. And about that time, and this is the part I really want you to know, about that time, God did a work in my heart. I was blind and I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. If I tried to read the Bible, it was somebody else's mail. And all of a sudden, I realized that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And that I could get clean once and for all. And as a part of coming clean, I realized that I had a dear brother that I had spent many years with who had taught me so many things about life that I was estranged to. He was my first person I went to after I became a believer. And I said, Steve, i got to talk to you. He goes, what is it, Jeff? I said, I've been holding a grudge. We have been distance from one another. And based on what I read, we have the ministry of reconciliation. And we need to be reconciled. Steve looked me in the eye and said, well, it's amazing what God has done for you. Because while that's been going on, Jeff, I've been a believer most all my life, but I haven't been walking with him as I ought. And I, too, want to be reconciled. So Steve and I, on that day, became each other's first disciple. He was my Barnabas, and I was his. And we studied so much that when I got married, I just found that Patty was putting three plates out. Because she knew that about supper time, that little ruby red truck would pull up. And he would come in not to get a meal, though he got a good one every time. But he wanted to, to grow. See, he understood Christianity in a deep, abiding way. He reminds me of the guy. One time I was with one of my mentors in the faith, and somebody came up to my mentor and said, I think God has called me into full-time Christian service. And my mentor said, where you been? If you're a believer, you're in full-time Christian service. Well, that was Steve. As I said earlier, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. A little bit later in life, Steve and I had logged enough time that we could finish each other's sentences. He worked at New Life Bookshop. He helped me remodel the Christian bookshop. 
Um, he got the book by Gene Getz at the bookshop. Um, he worked with me at Campus Crusade for Christ. And he told me, Becky, when he came back, that he enjoyed the state of Wyoming. But there was something that was in Hawaii that was better than that that was in Wyoming. I had never seen a guy that I'd known this long. I was convinced that whoever this girl was, that was going to be his bride. Well, obviously he was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. We spent many a night together. We talked about how we would raise our children. You know how. We're all, we don't mind talking about raising children until we have them. And then talking about child rearing is off limits. Man, you can offend people in serious way. Well, I started my family a little bit earlier than Steve, and I had two children, which, by the way, just to catch you up, when I had my second child, we left our one-year-old with Steve and Becky when we went to the hospital. And Caleb, the second one that was born in your family, I drove your mama to the the um, midwife, and it was the worst weather day I'd ever seen in North Louisiana. But that's the kind of life we had together. Well, he came to me and looked at me in the eye, as y'all know he can do, with an authority that makes you want to hit him. Guys, I'm, I'm telling the truth, I promise. In fact, he has many times questioned my authenticity on many of my stories. Now that he's in heaven, he knows I was telling the truth. <laughs> he looked me in the eye and he said, Jeff, I'm not going to hold you to the standard I have for raising children. But I'm going to hold you to the standard you set for raising your children. And you're not raising them the way you set. Can you imagine what that would do to a man? That medicine hurt and burned all the way down. But he was right. He loved me so much that he was willing to risk the temporary time that we might be at odds with one another for the sake of my fatherhood and the sake of my children. After I came to grips with the truth that he proclaimed, I loved him even more. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I learned from Steve what sticking looks like. And Eli, you and Caleb, um, sticking is sticking. And your dad taught me what sticking looked like. I can remember I was on that camping trip back up in Wyoming when Zachary, his oldest son, became ill. We didn't know what it was. We actually had to basically carry him out of the mountains. You remember, Caleb. From that moment on, we found out that Zachary had a cancer that he would fight with all he had. Um, But God had another plan for Zach. But I learned during that period of time that I needed to figure out how to stick. Steve would call me on a Thursday and say, he's back on the vent at some hospital. 
And Friday, Patty and I'd be at that hospital. It was a tough day to be standing right here, right now, in October of 2011, when I, when his, my dear brother Steve asked me to speak at his son's funeral. But I was thankful because I had logged enough time with Steve that I knew what Steve wanted in his son's life. What he wanted more than anything else is that his son would finish well. That's all he wanted. And so finally, because I knew that, I could stand before Steve that day and say, he finished well. And he did. He did. I would love to just speak today on Zach, but I can't. Steve, um... I've been married 43 years, and I give much credit to Steve for those 43 years. Not because he was a good marriage counselor. In fact, I don't know if he was. (laughs) But I knew this. And it always haunted me. And I stand before you today fearful because I don't have a friend like Steve Ramsey anymore. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that if I decided to leave my bride, Steve would be on my front porch. And he would say, like hell, you're going to leave her. You're going to have to come through me first. It helps to live a life when you have somebody like that. So I would encourage you today, be a friend. There was a friend who stuck closer than a brother. Man, let's don't waste what he invested his life doing is showing us what a man, how he's supposed to stick. Because he stuck to me. And he did a lot of things the wrong way, I'm sure. Because he was human. But oh, there was a guy that was a friend that stuck closer for more than 60 years, more closer than a brother. Let us pray. Father, your son, Jesus Christ, did the most for me in the fact that he gave his own life that I might have life. Oh, but Father, you also gave me a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you, Father, for such a friend. Father, I pray that you will help each of us stick closer than a brother. And, Lord, may we have those that would stick close enough to us. Lord, we know we've asked you time and time again to give us whatever it is we need to finish this race and to finish it well. And, Father, you gave me a brother to help me do that in Steve. So, Father, I pray that, that you would call the men and women of this church to a friendship that helps us through the fourth quarter, a friendship that helps us bust the line, a friendship that we could, Lord, be able to say, I have fought the fight. I have finished the race. Oh, Lord, please bless Becky 
and the family. Oh, Lord, please protect them. Don't let them lose the memories of their dad. And, Lord, may they follow in their dad's footsteps. May they have that kind of legacy to live after. This is what I pray in Christ's name. Amen. What do you say at your best friend's funeral? A friend for 30 years. There's already been much said, and I could say a lot more and add a lot to this story, as I know many of you could as well. Um, In this service, we're trying to cram a big story into a real short time. I probably spent as much time talking with Steve as any other man I've ever talked with. Hours and hours and hours. We prayed together, wept together, sat silent together, laughed together. And thankfully, we have laughed a whole lot more than we've cried. I've helped him do a few things, and he's helped me do a million things. Sometimes I assisted him by staying out of his way while he did it, or he showed me how to do it. Last Friday, I was trying to figure something out in my shop, and I had to chuckle to myself when I thought, I need one of those bracelets like they used to have that said, what would Jesus do? I need one that says, what would Steve do? By the way, Caleb, last night uh, uh, I received a text from your dad. That was Saturday night. And I thought, hmm, I didn't know they had cell phones in heaven. And I was kind of hoping they wouldn't. (laughs) But it turned out it was Caleb using his dad's phone to text me. So... uh, I was happy excuse me. I was happy to let Steve have my casket that I built a few years ago. But I made sure I didn't leave a flashlight inside so he wouldn't inspect my craftsmanship. <laughs> Seriously, Steve's demand for quality could be a little intimidating. But mostly, I found it inspiring. I don't know if he knew it. I think he did. But he pushed me to be better than I would have been without him. I think I occasionally pushed him as well. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Steve hadn't been gone a week, and I miss him. I've had the honor of being the Ramsey's pastor and friend for about 10 years in Texarkana before we moved to Nacogdoches 20 years ago. And on June the 18th, 2017, Steve was... Excuse me, on on September the 22nd, 2013, uh, Steve and Becky became members of Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church. And on June the 18th, 2017, Steve was ordained as a deacon in this church. God has been at work in Steve's life by way of both adversity and accomplishment to work in him and through him for the benefit of other people. And I must say, as one who has known Steve and his family for so long, Becky deserves uh, much of the credit for getting him to this place and helping shape him into the man that he became. Yes, she is quiet and unassuming, but her ministry has enabled Steve's ministry. And for that, Becky, we are deeply grateful. Now, I don't think I'm engaging in flattery in the least when I say that having seen Steve over the long haul, I am confident that he indeed was a man of integrity 
principle, humility, and wisdom. If he thought he was right, which he was most of the time, he didn't back down. And when he finally figured out that he was wrong about something, which he did occasionally, he owned that all the way to the bone. He is what we would call a good man. There's no question that he loved his family, he loved his church, and he was loyal to both. At Grace Covenant, uh, Steve quickly became an indispensable man. But God has reminded us all this week that the cemeteries are filled with indispensable men and uh, that his service to us was temporary. Several have asked, uh, who will replace Steve? And, of course, the answer is no one will. It would probably take two or three people stepping up to the plate, and that would be a great way to honor his legacy. Now, I also knew Steve well enough to know that right about this, at this minute, if he could, he would interrupt me and tell me that he is not a good man, but that he was instead a big sinner with many deficits. This thing we politely call imperfection, which is really sinfulness, is an important part of Steve's story. Because it is the dark backdrop to the bigger and more important story that we call the gospel. Steve knew that he had failed and that he sometimes disappointed the people he loved the most. We all know that it's hard for a weak man to be strong, but it's even harder for a strong man to be weak sometimes. Steve was a strong man, but sometimes he was too strong, and sometimes he was too principled. And sometimes he was too demanding and too busy. Like he often did for me, if he knew you, uh, knew he wanted you to, uh, if he knew that he wanted you to be better than you are, he also wanted uh, to be better than he was. He knew that there was only one good person that ever lived, and that was why. He also knew that he needed that one good person to be his Savior. And that's why he clung to Jesus Christ. And more than anything in this world, that's what he wanted for the people he loves. While Steve was not a perfect man, that is no longer true. I want you to just imagine for a moment a perfect Steve Ramsey. Go ahead. The same personality, but now a sinless man without any faults. This is what the gospel has accomplished for him. The Bible says, For by one offering, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That is what Jesus has done for him. Every death is a reminder of sin, and yet even in the depth of sorrow we are comforted, but only because Steve was in Christ, he was part of his body, and because of that he will live as long as God does. He's left a world where he has known his share of pain, disappointment, and sorrow, but he is now in a place without tears. He has left the company of sinful people and is now in the company of Jesus Christ and angels and just men made perfect. He has gone from an obscure and dim enjoyment of God to a clearer and brighter enjoyment of God. Today we have paid a brief tribute to this man, a life well lived, a life full of meaning, value, and blessing, To this great man, we do shed our tears of loss for loss. And yet the Apostle Peter tells us that even through our trials, as our faith is being tested and refined, there is, in the middle of all this, a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. About 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God in 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 human flesh, laid in the grave 
waiting between death and resurrection. And on this day, Steve also waits in the presence of God between death and a future bodily resurrection from him, for him. This is like the day before Easter. Jesus went to his grave knowing that his body would be a seed planted in the ground. And by faith in the God who raised Jesus, I would like for you to consider your husband, your father, your grandfather, your brother, your friend, his death as a seed planted in the ground, not only to die, but to bear abundant fruit. We're not far behind Steve. His perspective has changed. He's not crying because he knows we're right behind him. I'm certain that his desire for you right now is that you may all hear what he has already heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. Since Jesus rose from the dead and Steve is united with Christ in his resurrection, this means that every single detail of his life, including the sudden and unex- his un- sudden and unexpected death last Wednesday, was full of meaning and purpose. So we've come together today seeking the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the consolation of God's holy word and to renew our hope in the certainty of the resurrection through Jesus Christ. He has spoken with authority about the future, and he has spoken in a way that no one else can. Becky, Steve knew and said that you were the greatest gift to him from God. He lived for you. He loved you with all his heart. You have served him and loved him so well. He now wants you to keep trusting God and casting all your cares upon Christ because he cares for you. Caleb, Jessica, Asher, Eli, the value of your father's life will only increase in the days ahead. As you raise your children, more and more of him will slip out of your mouth. And you'll remember him and his wisdom. Your perspective of him and your appreciation for him will be money in your bank. And you'll draw on that for the rest of your lives. Grandchildren, some of you are too young to know it yet. But you too will benefit from a faithful grandfather who accrued blessings on your behalf. Garrett said a couple of days ago, Gramps can't be gone. He still had things to teach me. Well, Garrett, maybe you need a bracelet that says, what would Gramps do? You already know that he would love God and love his family and love his friends and work hard. And sacrifice himself, and if you get those lessons, you'll be just fine. And to family and friends, Steve would thank you all for your love and your prayers and labors, and he would urge you to keep the faith and to walk with God and to hear his voice and to prepare for the future, to get ready for the real world that is yet to come. He wants to see you soon. He would remind us all of what Jesus said to Martha I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We can all find great comfort in knowing that Steve and Zach, along with many other loved ones, are rejoicing together right now. On October the 19th, 2011, I spoke these words at the funeral of Steve and Becky's son, Zachary, and I now say them about his father. Steve was a true and faithful follower of Jesus Christ and was, by God's grace, born and baptized into the church militant and has now passed into the church triumphant having lived and served in this world of sorrows for nearly 64 years, 
He lived and loved and served, and now he celebrates in the presence of the Lord. As we say farewell, he has been received and now awaits the final reunion that lies ahead for all who are in Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, governor and sustainer of all things, who declares the end from the beginning, who numbered our days when as yet there was not one of them, without whose will not even a sparrow falls from a tree, who works all things after the counsel of your will, ordaining whatsoever comes to pass. You, O Lord, planted faith and hope in our hearts which looks beyond our mortal life. Therefore, we give you thanks this day for the light of immortality in Jesus Christ. He has called us into his kingdom and to those things that do not pass away. O Lord, today we mourn the temporary loss of our brother, Steve Ramsey. Yet we rejoice over his permanent gain in Christ. May we find peace in the promise of the gospel and the promise of a future home. Today we pray that you would be a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Send your Holy Spirit to comfort Becky and the rest of Steve's family and friends. And may the promises of your word be our consolation. Raise us up, we pray, in the power of his spirit from the death of sin to the life of righteousness. Prepare us to follow Christ in hope and trust through the journey of this world, the darkness of the grave, and into the world of light where he has led the way. We pray all of this through him who is the resurrection and the life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.